You're listening to episode number 39 of the Secondary Science Simplified Podcast. If you've been around my corner of the internet for a while, then you know that my love for organization, color coding, and all things the home edit runs deep. You won't be surprised then to hear how excited I was to see one of the most requested podcast episode topics for back to school season was on classroom organization strategies because y'all are speaking and requesting my love language. And before you turn off this episode because you don't think you need to organize your teaching space, hear me out. I really think this episode will have something for you. It's for you if you are a floater and all you have to your name is a cart with a squeaky wheel. This episode is for you if you are teaching in a non-science classroom with zero storage or designated lab space. And this episode is also for you if you have a beautifully large classroom with a designated lecture space and separate lab space, because I've taught in all of these settings, and I'm here to offer organization tips that will benefit the nomads and the hoarders and everyone in between. Are you ready to get organized? Let's do it. This is Secondary Science Simplified, a podcast for secondary science teachers who want to engage their students and simplify their lives. I'm Rebecca Joyner from It's Not Rocket Science. As a high school science teacher turned curriculum writer, I'm passionate about helping other science teachers love their jobs, serve their students, and do it all in only 40 hours a week. Are you ready to rock the time you spend in your classroom and actually have a life outside of it? You're in the right place, teacher friend. Let's get to today's episode. Before we get started, I want to just preface this episode with a reminder of what the goal is when we are organizing our classrooms. The goal is not this Pinterest perfect classroom that's Instagram ready to go viral, you know, on a teacher blog, but the goal is to create a classroom space that maximizes what you have, no matter how big your space is or how little it is. I want you to be able to steward the space and resources that you have well and not waste them if you have a lot of space and a lot of resources. And I often find teachers with the biggest classrooms and the most storage cabinets don't do a great job of stewarding them because the space just gets so wasted because there's cabinets on cabinets filled with things from the teachers before us that we've never had a chance to go through. So we're going to make sure that we're all stewarding what we have well, whether it's a cart or a full lab and classroom space. And the goal is also too to set up a classroom space where your students feel calm and they don't feel stressed by your classroom space. And that comes from being in a place that they feel comfortable in and that they don't feel like a guest in the space. We want our students to know where things are so that they can move freely around our classroom to get the things that they need. And that will eliminate a lot of questions on your end that you're having to constantly answer about, can I get a pencil or where do I turn this in? Like we're going to eliminate that with how we organize our space. And it's going to set up the running of your class to be a lot smoother as well. So first and foremost, I can't dive into a discussion on organization without mentioning my classroom reset challenge. So if you have not done it yet or downloaded it, you need to go to it's not rocket science classroom.com slash challenge, which I'll link in the show notes. It, this is a free PDF, but basically it will walk you through five tasks. So each task has a checklist of things for you to do. I designed it to do one thing per day 
and get it knocked out in the course of a week, but you can do this at any pace. And the Classroom Reset Challenge is going to walk you through resetting your desk, your filing cabinet, the front of your classroom, any storage cabinets you have, and if you have a storage closet somewhere. And then there's also a bonus sixth task that you can do with a friend. You just have to grab a science teacher friend to do it from your department because it's tackling the chemical supply closet. And I don't want anyone attempting to do that on their own because it can be super overwhelming. So make sure you grab that if you haven't already. But I know if you're listening, you may say, you know, I downloaded that months ago. I had every intention of doing it this summer, but you know, they were waxing the floors in my classroom or repainting the walls or, you know, recarpeting the hallways or whatever reason you may have heard for prohibiting you from being in the building this summer. Or, you know, maybe you were able to get to your classroom, but you just didn't even know where your classroom was. Like the building was open, but you had not been told where you'd be teaching this year until maybe a few days before school started. So maybe you would have loved to have cleaned out and organized your classroom or your teaching space, but you didn't even know what that space was until very recently. So I just want to encourage you, if that is where you are, this episode is for you because we're going to start by focusing on the three most important areas for you to organize now. These are the three spaces I tell everyone to get situated at the start of the school year. And then I challenge you just to put it somewhere on your calendar for later in this year to do the full classroom reset challenge in all its glory. I really recommend doing it during midterm exams or final exams. I personally like to do it twice a year. I do a really big kind of reset at the end of the school year, and then I like to do it mid-year as well. And I always kind of find that exam time is a great time to do it because I'm spending a lot of time in my classroom with students reviewing or I'm proctoring exams. And, you know, I can't really, I shouldn't really be sitting at my computer during those times. I need to be up and moving around. So kind of organizing and going through cabinets and stuff, it's kind of a good time to do that. So that's my recommendation. But for now, I just want you to focus on three areas. First, your prime real estate. Your prime real estate is the front of the classroom that you are teaching in. And it is where your students' eyes are most often going to go. I call this your prime real estate because it's the most important part of your classroom. And it is where all eyes are going to be focused. And I think my first few years teaching, I filled this space with really cute, fun posters or, you know, some awesome, you know, this really cool periodic table I got that had these fun images on it or sciencey things like that. But those aren't really my highest priority items. So later on in my teaching career, I moved those things to the side because I still liked them and I wanted them in my classroom, but I didn't want them taking up my prime real estate. So in my prime real estate, I'm looking for maximum whiteboard space. I want as much whiteboard space as I can get my hands on. And I know that's not the case for everybody, but if you have the option, you can buy whiteboards for pretty affordably. You can buy whiteboards on wheels if you're a floater and have a whiteboard that you literally bring to and from your different classroom spaces that are relatively lightweight so that you don't have to constantly be writing certain things on the board. You can also go to like a Lowe's or a Home Depot or some sort of home supply shop and get shower panel board and it serves the same purpose as whiteboard. It kind of has the same texture. It can get stained if you leave Expo marker on it too long, but if you just need something to like throw on your wall so you have more whiteboard space, this is a great, really, really cheap option because here's what I recommend in prime real estate. I recommend having a whiteboard that you can project 
onto. So if you're doing a PowerPoint or a worksheet or anything like that, you can project that onto a whiteboard, not a wall, because there's nothing I love more than writing on a worksheet, but I'm writing on the whiteboard. It's basically just like if you grew up with the projectors, you know, the overhead projectors like we had when I was growing up, it's that exact same concept, but you're doing it on your wall. So I love a whiteboard to project onto. I also just love blank whiteboard space in the front of my room where I can bring students up to the whiteboard and have them work out problems. So if I'm in like my physical science class and we're doing 10 practice problems, as students are working on those problems, I'll go ahead and I'll like mark off a grid on my board and I'll number it one through 10. And then I'll draw my popsicle sticks with students' names on them. And I'll like, you know, jot their name down a num- by a number or I'll go whisper up to them if I don't want their name on the board. And I'll say, hey, Alex, you're going to do number one. Chastity, you're doing number two. And I'll just go ahead and tell them that. So like, hey, when you're finished with number three, Max, go and put it on the board. And I'll have students work problems out on the board. And then I love to go over problems that way so students can see all the work written out. I think this is especially important if you're teaching some sort of quantitative science like chemistry or physics or physical science because the process is so much more important than necessarily the answer. And I love having students write it on the board and then me being able to go up there with a different colored marker and kind of correct or add to it. Or better yet, assigning two students to a problem and then having, you know, your first 10 get up there and write it down and then have the next 10 come up and add or correct anything that may they may have done differently. So I love a whiteboard for projecting. I love a whiteboard up front for students to come right on. I also love to have a whiteboard up front that I put upcoming due dates. So I have like a smaller whiteboard in every classroom I've ever taught and I made sure to make this happen. A smaller whiteboard that just has like a letter or a number, you know, for each class period. So one, two, three, four, five. And then next to it, it'll be like, you know, unit two test Thursday, September 10th or Genetic Disorder Research Project due February 1st. And I will put those due dates up there. I like those right up front so students are regularly seeing them when they're looking towards the front of the classroom. Also at the front, I like a whiteboard that has the daily agenda. So typically, I'm usually teaching around four to five preps at a time. And hopefully some of those will be, you know, two of the same thing, like two CP bio or something like that. But I'll divide my whiteboard into a grid, let's say a four to keep it easy. And then I have, I put every single day what we're doing. So we're going to do a prime time. We're going to take notes on page 10 of your packet. Then we're going to do this practice handout. Then we're going to take a little bit of notes on page 11. Then we're going to start this lab activity that we'll finish tomorrow. And I put a bulleted list up there. It is so helpful for students who are coming in and saying, what are we going to do today? Or what are we doing? And just to see what we're doing. And it's helpful for me to reference, you know, when we do get into a discussion or if maybe I do get off track, if it takes us a long time to go over the homework or whatever it is to be like, okay, this is what I'm referencing. This is what we're doing. And this is what we're working through. So I love to have that daily agenda up front in my prime real estate. And I like all those to be whiteboards because then it's just super easy to like erase it at the end of the day. And then write it again for the next day and restart it. But then I also like to have students have access to individual whiteboards. And I will link in the show notes just like a set of 30 you can get on Amazon that are great to have with erasers. And I keep these in a certain place where I'll have students grab these a lot and we'll do them, use them for formative assessment. But I love whiteboards. So my prime real estate is all made up of whiteboards. But in that front of the classroom, I'm prioritizing where a place to list due dates, a place to list the daily agenda. I also put something on my whiteboard or on my walls up there, a poster or something that has my regular set tutoring hours, because I think that's really important for students to know when you are available, because then they know when you're not available and they're not just going to show up on your doorstep. You know, I hated when I would get to my classroom early to catch up on grading. 
And there'd be like three students sitting outside my classroom door. They had their parents drop them off early because they had questions. And I was like, dang, I can't help you right now. I'm frustrated. But it's not their fault if they don't know when they can get help. So have a set tutoring time. Say, you know, every day after school for 30 minutes, I'm here. Or every day at lunch or Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings, Tuesday, Thursday afternoons, I'm here. And set your tutoring hours in your prime real estate so you can always reference it. Or if they're saying they need to, hey, when can I make up, you know, that test I missed, point to your sign in your prime real estate and say, these are the times you can come. So I really recommend having tutoring hours up in that prime real estate as well. And then the last thing I want you to have in your prime real estate is your turn in area. So that's the second thing we're going to focus on in terms of organization. So first is your prime real estate, which is the front of your classroom. Second is your turn in area. This is wherever you're going to have students turn in work. And there's no right or wrong way to do this. You may want this to be something that hangs on your wall. You may want it to be, you know, a station that you have on your desk. For me personally, I like to have something that hangs on the wall and I have it kind of hanging by the door to my classroom so that it's really visible. Again, it's in that prime real estate where my students are seeing it and they're remembering where it is so they can remember I need to put things in there for her to grade them. And I will link in the show notes the set of like plastic storage pockets. They're clear storage pockets that I had on my wall and I just labeled them with the number for the class period so students knew which was which. Now, I will say this for your turn in area. I really think you need to prioritize making it somewhere in the front of the room. In particular, if it can also kind of be by your door, I feel like that's really helpful for visibility for students so they can turn things in easily on their way out or in from the classroom. Second, I really like this turn in area to be near me, the teacher, and where I can also see it. So I can see what is going on and I can see when students are turning in things. So for example, oftentimes if I'm collecting a lab that I let students finish for homework or something like that, at the beginning of class while they're doing their bell ringer, I will say, hey, as you finish your bell ringer, make sure you turn in the lab from yesterday, put it in the turn in bin. And then, you know, at the end of our bell ring year, maybe after we've gone over it, I'll say, okay, this is your last call, last chance to turn in the lab from yesterday and, you know, not receive any late credit or anything like that. And students will get up and turn it in. And then I will go and I will empty the bin and I will take the papers and I'll paperclip them and I'll move them to my little storage cabinet in my desk where I file things that I need to grade. And I like to do this because it prevents students from finishing something they should have done at home, from finishing it during class when we're doing a lab or we're lecturing or doing a discussion and then trying to sneak it into the bin last minute. I don't want students doing that. So I like my turn-in bin where I can see it so I can see when they're turning things in. And then third, I really, really like not having this on my desk because for me personally, I really want to protect my desk space. I want that to be a place where I can have papers out. If I am mid-grading lab reports and the bell rings at the end of my planning for my next class, I don't want to have to pack up all my rubrics and all my piles and all my pens. Like I want it to be left there without having to worry about students messing with it. So I train my students. There's nothing they ever need from my desk area. There's no supplies there for them. That's not where they turn things in. Nothing goes on my desk. It is my desk. And I really protect that space. So I encourage you to potentially not have your turn in area there. So that way, if you do have things laid out on your desk, it doesn't get misplaced. And I can honestly tell you all, never in six years and hundreds of students have I lost something that a student turned in. 
And I swear it's because I've just had a really simple, very clear, very visible turn-in section in my classroom. So prioritize organizing a turn-in area for where your students are going to turn in their work. And the third thing I will say to prioritize organizing is the student supplies that you have. These are supplies that I want you to set aside for student access that they can grab at any time. These are freebies, so to speak, that I want my students to be able to access without asking me for. Like I tell them at the beginning of the year, this is for y'all. You know, you can borrow anything here and you don't need to tell me. You don't need to ask me for a pencil. You don't need to ask me for an extra sheet of paper. If we're doing a lab, you know where the rulers are. You know where the, you know, markers are if you're making a pie chart and you want to color code it or whatever it may be, because that's in the student supply area. Now, if you're like, I don't have the money to be buying supplies, Rebecca. Let me tell you something. Same, but here's what I recommend. One, I taught at a school once where we had a freshman academy and there was a grant in the freshman academy for school supplies and that they would supply to us. So I just had to say, hey, like I need erasers or I'm running out of pencils. And because I taught some freshman biology courses, I had access to those freshman academy resources for my students. So see if that is the case. Another thing is I've taught at a different school that they didn't really supply like classroom supplies like that, but they did have bulk office supplies that they bought, really basic stuff, but like pens, pencils, post-it notes, paper clips, staples, and paper. Like that was it. It was super basic. But I had access to all of that because oftentimes schools get great discounts for buying these things in bulk. So it's worth asking your school if they can do that because that will also just cut down on the supplies you need to buy. And last but not least, make an Amazon wish list of school supplies you need and post about it on social media for your friends and your family to contribute. I feel like the last few years have been insane and a lot of people have been made more aware of how difficult our jobs are and how much is put on us. And so people want to support teachers and this is such a simple way for them to do that. If you have a class website, you can also, you know, post this link there. You can send it out, you know, in your beginning of the school year paperwork and syllabi like, hey, if you want to contribute to our class supplies, you know, here are things we would love. I always asked for things I had on my list were lined paper and computer paper because we use a lot of computer paper in my classroom for making like foldables or drawing out the geochemical cycles or something like that. We also, um, I'm always asking for colored pencils and markers just to replenish those since they get dried out or they get stubby. I had a class set of scissors and rulers and I never really had to replace those. But I would ask for extra glue sticks and glue bottles because those dry out too. And then pencils, of course, also. And then because I did use those mini whiteboards, I did ask for whiteboard marker donations So because we use a lot of those in my classroom. And I really never had a problem keeping these things stocked. And it just saved a lot of energy from students having to ask me for things when they needed things. Oh, and another thing too, I will say this about this is pencils. Like I would always find pencils on my floor at the end of the day when I was kind of sweeping and cleaning up. And I would just like throw the pencils that I found in my pencil drawer. And that was a way that I kept like my pencil drawer restocked was finding things on the floor of the hall. So make sure to look there too. That's a great way to scavenge for resources. But I really like having a student supply area. It also makes your students feel really comfortable and at home in your classroom when they don't have to worry about having what they need for the day because they know it's going to be provided for them. 
Another thing I want to encourage you with is if you don't have drawers or cabinets. Well, first of all, if you do have drawers and cabinets, I want to encourage you to label them. I liked to laminate little labels and then I used like tack or painter's tape to kind of tape them to my drawers or cabinets so that they wouldn't damage those rather than like a sticky label. That's what I prefer to use. But if you don't have drawers or cabinets and you want to offer student supplies, there are these like plastic shook box size containers. You can grab them at like Walmart. I will link an example of what I'm talking about. I think this size is like six quarts. So it's small, but they're around a dollar or dollar 25 each. And they come with a lid and they stack really, really well. When I was in, when I had to float some, and then when I was in a classroom where I had absolutely no storage, it was not a lab room at all. There was nothing. I would store supplies in these bins and they could stack up really easily. And then I actually found a bookshelf literally on the side of the road. Someone I think was trying to throw away. And I brought it into that classroom that had no storage. And then I kept these like shoebox style containers on there and they were labeled and students knew where they could grab things from that bookshelf for their supplies. So I really encourage using those. They're so easy. And I also love to have those in my storage closet for keeping and organizing model sets or lab supplies. So for example, if you use my biology curriculum or my heredity unit, I have this popsicle stick babies lab and we use popsicle sticks and we color them as chromosomes and we use them to make babies. And once you make one set the first year, you have them forever. And so I store all of those in plastic bags and I store all the popsicle stick babies in one of those shoebox containers. Or if you do the different kind of beaks, natural selection lab, I have one in um, that I have in my resource shop, but there's so many all over the internet. But you know the one I'm talking about where you have like spatulas and chopsticks and tweezers and all sorts of different utensils that represent the different beaks, then that's a great thing that can all fit in these bins and they stack and store really, really easily. Now, I know not all lab supplies will store that easily, but that's okay. I do really encourage you though to look into these because again, they're cheap, super easy to move around if you're a floater to throw like your bin for that day's lab activity on your cart and wheel it to the classroom you're going to. So again, those are the three areas I want to encourage you to prioritize right now at the start of the school year, your prime real estate, your turn-in area, and your student supply space. One last thing I want to mention in relation to that is if you don't have a demo table at the front of your classroom, I really encourage that you make one. I don't think teachers necessarily have to have their desk at the front of the room if it doesn't work in your space, but having a demo table is crucial. And I had several years that my demo table was a plastic fold-out like dinner table that you can get just at like Lowe's or Walmart that was covered with a tablecloth and then was covered with a plastic tablecloth that I could wipe off really easily to do demos. I just think having a space up front that's like your front station in your prime real estate where students see you, that you can have something stacked on it, that you can do demos from as you would at a demo table is really important and helpful. So I wanna encourage you to put that in your prime real estate too. Lots of whiteboards, get that demo table, set up your turn-in area and establish a student supply space. Now, floaters, don't worry. I'm coming to you. Just hang with me. I have two more things I want to tell you, and then I'll get to specific advice for floaters. First is a recommendation that someone suggested in my course Facebook group. So every summer, I have a professional development course called Secondary Science Simplified. So if you like this podcast and you want to take a practical PD course about what we talk about here, 
you can do it in the next summer. But we have a Facebook group that runs the length of the summer where we can have discussions on the material. And someone recommended a charging station for phones that they kept near the front of the classroom. So we were talking about phone policies and phones can just be such a tool, but they can also be such a distraction in our classroom. And I know a lot of different schools have specific phone policies, but this teacher was recommending, hey, you know, I tried collecting phones and students didn't want to turn them in, whatever. So I just set up a charging station at the front of my room with a bunch of charging cords for like Androids and iPhones and stuff, or even just like an outlet strip that they use their own chargers. And a lot of students left their phones up front and that was a great way. And so she kind of had that at the front of her classroom as like a drop zone. And that was a great use of her prime real estate. Students could see their phones. They weren't like nervous about someone taking it, but it was also a way to get the phones off of students so they weren't distracted by them. And then another teacher related to that recommended a phone caddy. I had a phone caddy on my door. It was something we were required to have where students were supposed to drop their phone in the caddy on their way in. You can find anything like that on Amazon. I'll link one from Amazon that you can buy for that if you don't know what I'm talking about. But this teacher recommended to motivate students to do it. She used her phone caddy as how she took attendance. So each student had an assigned number and on her like clipboard that she had with her at all times where she had the roster of her students, they had a number. And so she would just look up there at the start of the class and see that caddy spot number seven and 19 were empty. And she would look and say, okay, seven is Joel, 19 is Jerome. They're absent today. And, you know, she said at the beginning of the year, you kind of get those students that are telling excuses like, oh, well, I didn't submit my phone because, you know, I got grounded. So it got taken from me. And she said all she had to do was email those parents once to confirm or deny, and it never became an issue again. And oftentimes if a student really did get grounded from their phone. As they came in, they would say, hey, I can't turn in my phone today because I got grounded. And she could kind of see if it became a pattern or not. But I thought that was a unique idea. I know that doesn't work for everyone's student population, but I wanted to share that as a classroom organization idea for phones, is using a phone caddy to take attendance or having a charging station for phones at the front of your room to get phones off of your students, but also keep them organized. Okay, last rec before we get to floaters is for your personal files. I know we have everything digital nowadays, but I personally still love to have physical things that I can put my hands on. And I think this is really important too if you're a floater. So I personally like to have a binder for every unit that I teach. If you ever see me talking on my Instagram stories, you can probably see them in the background because I have them all lined up. And I have a color binders like navy for all my anatomy stuff, white binders for all my biology, that kind of thing. So they're really easy to grab. And I label the spines by unit. And then within each binder, I have five dividers. And I divide it into a blank packet because I use a packet to distribute all of my handouts for the unit at once. So I'd like to keep a blank one so I can see what students are seeing. I have my answer key packet that has my answers, you know, jotted down in it. I have all the answer keys to my prime times, which are my daily bell ringers. And then I have a fourth section for my quiz and test answer keys. And then I have a fifth section that's like just at the back. That's kind of like my supplemental handout. So this might be, you know, a demo I saw on the internet that I printed out to reference, or it could be an activity that I used to do, or I don't always use every year that I just want to keep it as you know, a record of it in case I change my mind. And oftentimes after I do an activity, I write notes on that activity directly or on a post-it note and stick it to the activity. So I like to keep these in the back of my binder so I have those to reference in future years as I'm changing up and editing my course. And so 
For classes where I'm just teaching one level, I just use like a one inch binder. But for classes like biology where I'm teaching a college prep version and an honors or an advanced version, I'll get like a 1.5 inch binder just so I have more space to store all the stuff. But I really like a one inch binder. I just think they're really nice and they're lightweight and easy to grab. I don't encourage grading things at home and bringing work home to grade at all. But if you have to, it is nice to only have to grab that little binder that you need and then the stack of papers you're grading and it's less for you to bring home too. And then if you're floating, I hope at the very least, if you're a floater, that you demand your admin give you some sort of home base. You need somewhere to have a desk and a storage cabinet or a filing cabinet or something that can be the place where you default to and that you can go during your planning period or whatever it may be. Even if it's the corner of the media center, that's your spot that you can kind of lock up your desk and files. That's really, really important. And that's where I would make probably keep my binders. And then that way when I'm floating, I'm only grabbing the one I need for that class period I'm going to next, throwing it on my cart and going. So floaters, couple specific tips for you because I don't want you to feel left out since you don't have a classroom. First, I will say, I'm so sorry you're floating. I think there's no reason why a science teacher should ever be expected to float. I think you should honestly go to your admin and let them know that it's a safety hazard for you to have to be floating to different classrooms with chemicals for you to do these different demos. I kind of floated for one year and then I mentioned that to my admin and they found a classroom for me the next year and they had someone who was much more mobile, like a math teacher, an English teacher. They became a floater and it just made so much more sense for everybody. Now, I didn't get a science room. I just had like an old computer classroom, but hey, it was a classroom and I didn't have to float around with test tubes or, you know, breakable beakers or anything like that. So I encourage you to argue the safety factor and see if they might change their tune for you. But if not, if all else fails, I recommend a fanny pack or an, a utility apron to wear at all times so you can have your stuff in it. So like for me personally, I'm basically, I always want a pencil. <laughs> I always want, you know, a dry erase board marker that I want to use. And I'm kind of particular about my markers. So I want, you know, I kind of would float with mine. And then I always like to have a calculator because I'm using a calculator a lot, especially teaching physical science. So I like to have my graphing calculator on my body and then also my phone. So those are the types of things that I'm keeping in my apron or in my fanny pack. So I really recommend that. I also recommend you have to have a cart. And there's a utility cart that I love that I had. I Well, I really, I started with an old projector cart and it had the squeakiest wheels and everyone would, all my coworkers could hear me coming up and down the halls and it drove them crazy. And so finally they defended me and they went to my admin. They're like, can we please get her a better cart? Cause we hate hearing this thing through our closed doors squeaking away. So I got a utility cart and it was amazing. I am going to link it in the show notes, a visual of what I have, but you can order it from like a, a science supply store too. But these are great because they're super sturdy and you can put a lot of lab supplies on them and you can put your computer on it and a lot of things like that. So I really, you got to have something on you, like attached to you, like a fanny pack or an apron. I also recommend a cart for sure. And then on that cart, I like to have a shoe box or a basket that's full of student supplies. And I, you know, I supply a lot less with the year that I was floating because I was floating. So I couldn't have, you know, all of the markers and glue sticks and all that on me all the time. But I did still have one basket where there was always backup paper and pencils because I never want my students to have to worry about that. Also, if you're floating, I definitely recommend utilizing a packet strategy. I'll link in the show notes what I mean by that. But it's so important when you're floating to minimize the amount of handouts that are going back and forth because that's what's going to set you up to lose a handout. 
and make it a lot harder to distribute papers back and forth between your students. So I really recommend a packet strategy. So then you're only giving students printouts and copies once a unit. And then all you're really collecting is just maybe one or two things at a time. Because I want you also, of course, to not be collecting and grading all the things because we want to minimize the amount you're grading. So I really, really recommend that. Okay. Phew. I got a little more long-winded than I anticipated, but I also am not surprised because this is something I love talking about so much. So I'm not surprised that I spent 30 minutes talking about this with you, but I hope this has been helpful. And don't forget, yes, I want you to eventually do the classroom reset challenge, but if you don't have time or capacity right now, just focus on those three most important areas, your prime real estate, turn in area, and student supplies. You will be amazed by how just focusing on these areas makes a big difference in the overall feel and organization of your classroom. As always, I'm grateful for you tuning in and listening to today's episode. You can find all of the links and supplies I referenced in the show notes at itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash episode 39. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.